You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster Talk can be supported by listeners like you at patreon.com forward slash monster talk or by leaving positive reviews on iTunes and other podcasting sites. Learn more at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Thanks to all of you who are supporting us in this way. We are humbled and grateful and hope that we always live up to or exceed your expectations. This story is extraordinary, especially if it's true. And it all started in the desert, just north of Las Vegas. A local scientist who worked at Groom Lake said to be where top secret weapon systems have been tested over the years. He has asked that his identity be shielded. Exactly what's going on up there? What's going on up there could be the most important event in history. Physical contact and proof from another another system, another planet, another intelligence. What would happen to you if the government learned that you were giving us this information? He just wanted to stay alive. Maybe this has been kept from us for a good reason. Sir, how do we know you are who you say you are? My name's Bob Lazar. I'm known for working at a classified base and reverse engineered alien spacecraft. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. In the recent Skinwalker Ranch documentary, Hunt for the Skinwalker, and in his latest release, Bob Lazar, UFOs in Area 51, director Jeremy Corbell continues to say over and over again that he wants to weaponize his curiosity. I'm still not sure what he means by that precisely, but he says it a lot. Anyway, at the risk of being injured by his curiosity, I watched his new documentary and the bonus material, and then Karen and I sat down to discuss the film. What follows is a primer on Bob Lazar and a review of this new film all rolled up into one. Monster Talk. Hey, welcome to Monster Talk again, Karen. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me back on. Yeah, it's good to have <laughs> you back. I'm glad you were once again able to make your way to the microphone <laughs> in, yeah, in service maybe of the, science. The <laughs> time or something. Yeah. yeah. Now that we've got <laughs> dozens of these things under our belt, I'm sure it'll be mm-hmm. seamless and painless to knock one of these out. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. I don't think they've ever been seamless. <laughs> ever. You know, 10... Basically, ten years now. I know we've we've often said we're at the ten year mark. Yeah, we, we've we had more ten year anniversaries now. than a lot of people. Uh, we, we, it'll yep. actually be in July of this year, twenty nineteen. So I'm, I, I'll try to remember uh, to do something there you special, go. special. Yeah, we're approaching that, but we're still having difficulties, <laughs> <laughs> technical difficulties. That is a fact. Um, you probably wonder why I called you here today. <laughs> <laughs> What have I done? Now, you know, so um, 
I, I've got an, uh, let me just not, let me just say this. I've got uh, several episodes that I've recorded for January, 2019, and I'm having trouble getting them out the door because my family life has been, uh, just a one endless disaster after another. Um, and, and same here. Yeah. And, and so it, 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 I'm starting 2019 super optimistic and positive mm-hmm. and basically completely unaccomplished. So, uh, <laughs> Just like everyone else with their New Year's resolutions, right? This is about the time that everything starts crumbling. Yeah, it, it is. on track. It's crazy. But, I mean, we've got some good stuff that we've recorded, but uh, getting mm-hmm. it out the door has been really challenging. I've just, we've had a lot of illness in my family um, and a lot of interesting. Sorry, so, sorry to hear that. Yeah, me too. Thankfully, it's not me. So those poor saps, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am. Uh, we'll- We'll get there. It, it is one of those things where when you take on a family, if if they have sickness or illness or other complications, it affects everybody, you know, so. Yeah, uh, should have chosen a different one. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I should have chosen a rich and successful family and hopped right into that. That would have been, you know mm-hmm. what? This family's pretty good, though. I like them. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> they, they, they amuse me uh occasionally delight me so what what more mm-hmm. can you ask so always frustrated <laughs> yeah yeah well th- th- you know what I have very very uh low expectations and high hope so you know that they they they, they, op- they did well on my end so <laughs> so they yeah they they constantly meet those yeah so uh the <laughs> I'm joking if any of them happen to ever start listening to the show which I think says volumes. But uh, no, seriously. They, uh, <laughs> I, same, same on my end, too. Yeah. <laughs> I actually hopped onto uh, uh, iTunes reviews, you know, because I was just checking to see how we're doing. And I saw that my own daughter, uh, Maddie, had hopped on and, uh, and gave us a positive review, which I thought was nice. I didn't, oh, I didn't tell her to sweet. do that. And, and <laughs> this is after that horrible practical joke that I did on her with uh, the haunted doll. The doll. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's all right. <laughs> She's forgiven you. Yeah, well, I maybe. Yeah, she brings it up occasionally, but yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Oh, I, she will the, the rest of your life, I think. Anyway, I, we're gathered here to talk about Bob Lazar, but I'm going to let you guide the interview. Okay, well, who is Bob Lazar? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so, so let me just throw out why we're talking about Bob for just a second. The... Um, I think uh, probably before this episode goes up, uh, regular listeners mm-hmm. will be uh, able to hear a discussion about uh, Skinwalker Ranch. And you and I mm-hmm. had talked about Skinwalker Ranch and why we had never covered it. And I ended up having a conversation with Jeb Card about it. Um, we'd both been following it for a long time. And that should come yep. out this week um, as well for the regular listeners. Um it's already been out for the Patreon supporters. So what's that's what I thought. I thought hasn't this one been out? A yeah, while? yeah. So it's been out for about I think six weeks or so for the Patreon supporters. But I promised them. Basically, they were really cool about this. I want to make them some content that's a little bit different because I don't because they are on a, a subscription feed, not part of Skeptic Magazine. Mm-hmm. I don't feel obligated yep. to edit the show as much. So all the you know salty language and everything's in there. So. Um, if you, which people like, some people, some people really do. Yeah. So if you, and we, I'll leave in a few more tangents on the uh, Patreon version, mm-hmm. but, uh, I trimmed it down just a little bit and cut out the, uh, spicy language and, uh, that's going to be out soon, but it's about the reason we were visiting, um, that topic was because, uh, this guy, Jeremy Corbell, who's a documentary mm-hmm. filmmaker. He also goes by Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell or AKA mm-hmm. forename. Um, that's Which is misspelled in the credits, strangely. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he, he um, hey, I'm a, a proofreader and editor. I picked it up. Yeah, he he is um. Anyway, he's he's doing these documentaries. He's doing uh, at least a trilogy. Um, I don't know if he intends it to be a, tr- a trilogy, but thematically, it's a trilogy. Um, where he's done a Skinwalker Ranch, which was big on the Art Bell Coast to Coast AM show. And he's mm-hmm. done now a new one called Bob Lazar Area 51 of Flying Saucers, which is also tied directly to um, George Knapp and to Coast to Coast AM and Bob mm-hmm. and, and uh, Art Bell. And then in the works, which I'm actually very interested in, he's got a documentary coming out about John Lear, 
uh, who's related to the Lear Jet family. King Lear. And uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's spelled differently, but who knows? But uh, he uh, he is uh, uh, he's been involved with UFO lore for you know I don't know twenty thirty years. Uh, so uh, it, it's like it's almost like he's doing video versions of all the you know coast to coast AM greatest hits from the the nineties. Um, right. And so. Uh, well, there's still a lot of interest in this topic. There in is. These topics. Now, I, I must admit that in uh, in my Skinwalker Ranch uh, discussion with Jeb, I was pretty harsh about the Skinwalker Ranch documentary. I just didn't think it had much good content. But be- mm-hmm. before we get into Bob Lazar and who he is, I just want to mention that I actually really enjoyed this documentary. It was a much more interesting uh, story and it had some action and surprises in it that I, you know, were just, it was more engaging, much more engaging. It, well, it, it was definitely fun and I think it had some issues too, but I guess we'll discuss those. Yeah. So now I'm going to actually answer your question. Who is Bob Lazar? So, <laughs> Um, Bob Lazar, I, I, you know, it's a little difficult to say precisely who he was or is, except mm-hmm. that uh, I, most of his fame comes around some, some stories that came out uh, around 1989. And mm-hmm. the story goes like this. Um, he was really interested in uh, jet cars and science um, and he says that, you know, he was an MIT graduate with a master's degree. Uh, in and Caltech. Yeah, and, so, and he's a physicist, right, according to him. And, and he, he likes making rocket cars. And so he, he makes a rocket car, and it gets local news coverage in, I think, I think that was in 88. Um, might have even been earlier than that. But he, he goes to see Edward Teller give a talk. And... Mm-hmm. Um, he meets Edward Teller outside reading a newspaper with coverage of, of his rocket car. And so they strike up a conversation about physics and stuff. And so ultimately he says that um, this led to him getting uh, a job uh, where he was able to uh, get involved with Area 51. Now, before that, he worked at Los Alamos, Alamos National Laboratory um, right. and uh, says he was a physicist there. Uh, I don't. I don't want to get into all the skepticism of this, but let's let's move forward. Just say that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we'll be treating a lot of these yeah, things as yeah. we go along. Mm-hmm. So, so he he gets this opportunity to get a job because of Edward Teller's recommendation, mm-hmm. um, and he gets this really rigorous interview process. It's you know it's hours long, and then he gets like a a, a security uh, uh, investigation. And eventually is hired, but he's a little unclear on exactly what the job is. Mm-hmm. And so they tell him to be at M- McCarran Airport, and he goes to McCarran, and they put him on a special plane. And then he's flown out into the desert, and then he gets on a bus with blacked-out windows and goes to this mm-hmm. base. And it turns out this is an area called S-4, which is right. part of Area 51, but it's like a, it's like if Area 51 is super secret, this is the super super secret secret part of, <laughs> of Area 51. Right, and this this place has been proven to have existed. Area 51 does. I don't know if S4. I, is, I thought S4 had as well. I'm not sure that about that. Uh, we can look that up maybe, and I'll I'll put mm-hmm. more in the show notes about that. That's a good question. Sure. Um, but but he says S4 is built into the terrain such that you can't tell there's hangars there and. Um, it's, you know, most of it's underground. Well, when he gets there, he discovers um, what he's been hired to do is to reverse engineer the, the propulsion system for alien spacecraft. And they have mm-hmm. multiple UFOs there. Well, they're not UFOs. They're, they're flying saucers, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, they're not unidentified because he can see them. They're right there. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't really qualify as unidentified flying objects. They're completely identified just sitting there objects, which is not as good of an acronym. Um, and so uh, his job is to figure out how these things work. And so he's supposed to, you know, take them apart, understand the propulsion system and mm-hmm. generally get to the bottom of that. And in relationship to that, he's, he's released uh, copies of drawings that he's made of what he saw there. Um, yeah. But, and then um, he signs them so he can sell them on eBay. I yeah. 
well, you got to make a living, right? So, so, so he works there for a while, as the story goes. Uh, he he says he never saw any aliens. Although I, I have to say, I but, I think hmm. he did because, or I think he has said that he did. But uh, well, he's, yeah, kind of. He said that he saw them. That they they referred to them as the kids. Yeah, yeah, and. and the documentary and that he did see something small, but then I think decades later, he's now saying that it was maybe a doll or a toy or something in a chair. Yeah, he's he's it's his stories. I think uh, the director. It's changing a little. It, right. <laughs> it, it, there's a little bit of fluidity around that. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. part of it is are were they tricking him? Um did they capture these aircraft? He's talked about them being found at archaeological sites. He's been talked about them as, you know, crashed. Or there's been stories that they were traded for. You know, that that kind of ties into the UFO lore of uh, the aliens were allowed to kidnap our uh, rural citizens in exchange for, you know, the ability to get some of this tech, that kind of thing. Um, I have I have thoughts. But um, he, he he spends a lot of time describing the the craft and, he, and their anti gravity propulsion system, and, and he says um, um, that the propulsion system couldn't really be reverse engineered because it was entirely dependent upon a stable version of Element One Fifteen. And now, at the time that he was making these claims, Element One Fifteen was hypothesized. I mean, it existed on the uh, uh, the you know elemental charts, but it wasn't a right. real thing that we'd ever produced. It's not a naturally occurring element. And when we finally did synthesize it, it was unstable and disappeared in, you know, fractions of a second. Um, what, right, but they were searching his house 30 years later to find yeah, it. <laughs> that part of the documentary is that, that he claims he stole a chunk of this stuff and that it's the, the key. The properties of it are such that that's how you actually make an anti-gravity engine. And so it's it's not a yeah, – um, it's not like a reminds rocket me of- Yeah. Reminds me of Homer Simpson, you know, when he gets that sort of glowing stick stuck on him when he's leaving work and <laughs> takes it home with him and then he's sterile. <laughs> oh, poor Homer. <laughs> I remember well, the episode where they did the X-Files crossover and Mr. Burns was taking medications and glowing in the dark and saying, yeah. I bring you love. You know, <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah. Good that scared me as a kid, actually. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But I have to say that just in less than... 10 minutes now in your potted history, you've done a better job, I think, than the documentary did. I think it was just very fragmented. It didn't really give a good background story. I think it went straight to trying to uh, legitimize a lot of Lazar's claims rather than really situating the story. So I think if you came to watch this and you didn't know the background story, you weren't familiar with it, I don't think it really gives you a good grounding in what's going on. Yeah, I think Jeremy Corbell's, I think stuff presumes that you know a little bit about the topic, like that you know some of the story. And I bet his target audience is probably people like me who heard the stories years ago. Although he makes the point that since this happened in 88, you know, there's two or three generations of people who've gotten interested in this topic who didn't hear mm-hmm. this stuff, you know, firsthand when uh, it originally came out. And speaking of coming oh, yeah, out, I guess. Believers and skeptics yeah. from both sides. Right. And, Very interesting. And of course, it's the thing, you know, I mean, Mark Twain talked about it. But the, the thing is, the the interesting part of this is the crazy, I shouldn't say crazy. The interesting thing about this is the fantastic claims. Mm-hmm. And the less interesting thing, I think, for most people would be the... Uh, the dismissal because of the lack of sufficient evidence or because of, you know, contradictions with testable fact. Uh, so, so um, I wouldn't want to add just a little bit more. So the reason we know about this at all is because Las Vegas news reporter, George Knapp uh, got in contact with uh, Lazar and did these interviews where he was like, in the shadows and they were calling him Dennis and basically disguising his appearance so that he could talk about this stuff. And as part of that, one of the more interesting, incredible things he does, not incredible, but just credible is that he took them out near area 51 and said that at a certain time there were going to be test flights of these UFOs. And sure enough, something flew around in the sky at the time that he said, and for, I think for a lot of people that was sufficient to give him uh, a a lot of credence. Now, well, yeah, and I think George even said towards the end that he believes Lazar. 
Oh, yeah. After all of these years of interviews, you know, he's a believer in the whole story. Yeah, it's interesting because, well, I guess we can get into this, but the one of the things is what did Lazar have to gain by making it up, you know? And I think a lot of people say, well, he didn't get a book, you know, he didn't get a movie made, although there were Yeah, no financial motive that there seems to be anyway. But I I do think... Yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's interesting that you should say that because in watching it, and comparing him to people like Billy Meyer and um, local people here like Stan Romanek and Jeff Peckman, he seems more plausible. Uh, he comes across as earnest. He comes across as intelligent. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's doing this for publicity. In fact, he talks at great length about how he doesn't like the attention that he's received. And uh, he kind of wishes he could just disappear again and just be a, a regular person uh, and that he, in some ways that he hadn't had these experiences, um, that, that he would have preferred that. So he is he is a different kettle of fish to th- these other contactees and uh, and UFO advocates. He's different. He is. He is different. I, I would say that uh, his original explanation for why he came out was that, I don't know if that's the right word, why he came forward, <laughs> was that he... Uh, <laughs> Uh, was afraid, new, uh, he, was, he was afraid for his life, you know, that he thought that the government was going to take him out, right? Um, because he was talking. And so... And nowadays, he's saying that he this was information that humanity needed to know, that people need to know about this. This is groundbreaking. So I guess he's changed his story in that regard over the years. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of uh, uh, fluidity around some of the elements. I mean, you know, the main core story is pretty consistent and also pretty untestable. Um, but then, uh, you know, going back to the old Carl Sagan thing about extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence or extraordinary proof. Mm-hmm. Um, his, the, the, the testable parts are other elements like things about his education, for example. And that's, that was like one of the first places I heard about uh, skepticism around his story was just uh, that it was un- Impossible to find credentials to support what he claimed his credentials were. And interestingly to me, one of the people key in like looking into this was Stanton Freeman. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, who's from his side. Y- yeah, I mean, Stanton uh, is a formal nuclear scientist himself and uh, certainly an outspoken proponent of uh, UFOs and uh, those storylines. Uh, you know, he's pr- the person who made Roswell, New Mexico famous again. Um mm-hmm. And he probably has the most famous eyebrows in ufology, I would say. Uh, they are pretty spectacular. So, As opposed to Randy's being the most famous. In- Skepsis, right, right. I, if they ever had an opportunity to have some sort of eyebrow war, that would be... Dueling oh my thing. Gosh, yeah. Dueling would, eyebrows. That could be a pay-per-view I would totally buy in on, yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, I think, wasn't there some evidence to suggest that he'd spent some time going to a college that I think was near Caltech. I don't know if he graduated or had um, any qualifications. Yeah, I, I, he's educated in some way, but I don't, he doesn't Maybe appear to be. Maybe self-educated. Right. I mean, he could I be mean, autodidactic, but he, he's not, mm-hmm. he does not hold a master's degree from MIT as near as anyone can say. Now, now rather than admit that he made those credentials up, which I have to say, you don't need to be saying that you, uh, uh, worked on UFOs to have false uh, educational credentials. That seems to be a mm-hmm. recurring theme uh, where prominent uh, people have, you know, lied about their education to get that first job, and that, that's the break that takes them through their career. And then years later, they have to like admit that they lied somewhere back in their mm-hmm. past. So, um, you know, whether he lied yeah, he's, to he's make himself seem more credentialed, yeah. Well, he has, but it doesn't make any sense because his claim is that the government's basically trying to erase his identity. Um, yeah, which takes away from his credibility. Yeah, because that, that's some, you know, yeah. movie-level nonsense. Uh, the government, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're not able to, I mean, just, that would mean that they would have to, like, go get everybody's yearbooks and make sure that, you know, mm-hmm. and old phone books and all that sort of thing and take them away. Ooh. Yeah. That's what I wonder about the phone books because uh, I know that they showed a little uh, piece of the phone book from or the a directory from Los Alamos right. Labs, and uh, I mean to me I haven't seen more documentation. Perhaps there's more evidence online, but that seemed to me like it was a little fragment with a couple of names. That's the kind of thing that could easily be 
falsified. I mean, has anyone come forward from that lab and said, yes, he was a colleague. I've worked with him. I'm not aware of anyone uh, uh, that has verified his employment at Los Alamos, except that George Knapp came up with that in the phone book. Friedman Mm -hmm. has suggested that he didn't really work there directly. He worked as a contractor, but I don't. I, that to me doesn't really matter. Or as a janitor, or something. well, right. Well, that's yeah. F- that was one of the I guess uh, things that people have said. <laughs> Maybe he was a janitor. I he probably wasn't a janitor. I mean, if anybody has any photos of him cleaning up stuff there, you know, an intern or let us know. But yeah, I, I mean, the, Corbell, the director, when he he's on a press tour promoting his documentary, which by the way. It's very successful. It's been very successful. Um, so it was extremely highly ranked when it was released, uh, kind of fluctuating between uh, the top space and fifth or sixth place in, in documentaries on uh, Amazon and I think on iTunes. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's doing, I think, better than uh, Skinwalker Ranch. And again, justifiably so. It's a much more <laughs> entertaining thing to watch. Uh but uh, yeah, except for the bits with uh, the Mickey Rourke. Oh narration. yeah, so that's the thing. He's got Mickey Rourke as the narrator, um, which these weird little poetic bits. It, that, that... He does, and I assume that's Corbell's uh, narration script. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think there's points where Rourke is talking about stuff, and 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 it seems like he's he's waxy poetic, and then suddenly drops an f bomb in the middle of it, and it kind of destroys the mm-hmm. flow. Because like he, he he switches from being like a poet to a a drunk poet at the bar, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I, I thought there was another one of those weird kind of fragmented things, and there was a lot of imagery too that was often yeah uh, and it does sound a little bit like instead of being uh, a, a, an objective narrator, it's more like we're listening to the rambling of of, of Kurtz and Apocalypse Now, right? <laughs> <laughs> well. Also with uh, Corbell, I mean, there was just so much footage of him being on the phone uh, and just kind of walking around his house in his jeans and, and shoeless. And uh, I just thought that that was uh, – he, he wasn't very helpful. He didn't as take his shirt off and flex, so, it, it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but just as far as the documentary is concerned, you know, you, you thought there was going to be more, more interviews, uh, more footage, original footage, that kind of thing. And uh, so I was a bit disappointed to see that it was just so much of Corbell. Yeah, but you do get um, a lot of, uh, you know, inside the life of Bob Lazar. What's he doing these days? You get to see his house, meet his wife. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought one thing that if you get the documentary on iTunes, and I, I forget, I, it, was, it might have been 10 bucks. I, I don't, it might have been 20. I don't know. Whatever. I, I paid the, the, the my I paid it I paid for my ticket and I watched it, right? So paid paid your dues. <laughs> right. But on the on the additional footage though, one of the things they have is uh uh footage of Lazar. He, you know, as he has a history of these these jet powered cars, one of the things he has is a, and bicycles a too. jet powered bicycle. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and I thought, honestly, Bob Lazar on a jet powered bicycle, could there be a better metaphor? for this whole thing, right? <laughs> like it's, it's sort of a rickety bicycle with this outsized engine of, of, you know, of, you know, narrative thrust to it. That, that, mm-hmm. that, but if you get past the loud noise, it's still just a bicycle, right? You know? Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, that's kind of sad, but, but maybe true. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't have any animosity towards Lazar. I, I just don't have a no, lot I of, thought he came across yeah. as quite likable really yeah. and and quite earnest and who knows if you know he, he seems to believe his story but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true it does not right i mean if you think about the possibilities um one possibility would be that you know he really was fed information uh that just turned out to not quite be true you know i mean you, you know maybe it was misinformation but another possibility is he's making it up my personal mm-hmm. this is entirely me just speculating, and I've been speculating about mm-hmm. it since I heard about it on Art Bell, you know, more than twenty years ago. Um, I thought it was most likely that he knew somebody who legitimately worked there, and that he was like hanging out and picking up stories. Because at mm-hmm. the time he told this story, most people did not know about Area Fifty One. However, as secretive as the place is. Lots of people in Las Vegas work there. And so mm-hmm. 
the stories about a secret base, you know, and like you know, special aircraft being flying that had to be in the local lore, even though it wasn't initially right. part oh. of the national narrative. You would think so. So do you think that uh, he might have had a, a relative working there, kind of like uh, Don Prothero, who we've had on the show a number of times uh, with his father working at Area 51? Or do you think it could have been a friend or a former colleague? Yeah, it could have been a lot of those things. And and also around that same time, um, not the Internet as we know it, but Newsnet, uh, uh, Usenet groups, I think I said Newsnet, Usenet groups were around. You could like, you know, get the on the internet or something. Yeah, it was not really the internet yet, but there were lots of, I mean, it was, but most people, there was no worldwide web, right? Mm-hmm. But you could get into the. Was there ever a time? Come on. No, no, yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get into the history of the web, Karen, but until Tim Berners Lee <laughs> developed the World Wide Web and the HTTP protocol, you know, <laughs> if you wanted to get on the web. It, you as need, I've been alive, it's always been around. Yeah, <laughs> so you had to get into this stuff, this uh, network news transfer protocol, and you would get into these like all text based discussion groups, but they were, they went deep, Karen. It was like a really fun place to hang out. And if you wanted to conspiracy theories, you could just deep dive. I, I suspected that the lore was out there, but he was absolutely instrumental in bringing the concepts of Area 51 to the public conscious. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Him and Nap. Mm-hmm. Nap and he. Together... <laughs> they, they they were their story went national and, and suddenly people were talking about this secret base a right. secret base which is still secret but we all know exists right mm-hmm. <laughs> well uh so you there there's just no evidence to attest to the possibility that he knows some or knew someone who um had actually worked there and witnessed something no that's all my wild speculation and well, which is yeah it's Plausible. But uh, I wanted to just raise something that you spoke about a, a little while ago, uh, and I just don't think it was as clearly specified in the documentary. You said that he'd worked there at uh, this, this S4 location for some time, and I seem to recall him mentioning that he was there for just a few days. Uh, do we have any it, uh, the timelines that idea seen, of how long he had worked there, if it, he did work there? It was less there? than a year. Um, okay. It was. Let's see. Let me. I'm, I'm looking at one of the timeline documents I have. According to the timelines, and some of these are taken from uh, stories that he's told. So you kind of have to kind of get the dates from there. In 1998 uh, was when he says he met John Lear. I know that. And then um, I know that he was also going through some bankruptcy trouble. Um, and uh, his mom died around that time. Okay, so he says in December of 88, he began to work at S4. And then um, 
April of 89. So what is that? You know, less than five months, around five months. months. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, in March of 89 was when he was doing his trips out uh, to show uh, people the the alien ships or whatever it was in the ships. And so he has uh, John Lear out there with him and they are uh, taking videotapes. And then ultimately, I believe those were turned over to Knapp and end up on the uh, documentary stuff. So. Okay, and was he living in Nevada that whole time, or were they just Yeah, yeah, he was living in Nevada. And then uh, it's a really interesting part of the story because he says that, you know, they were monitoring his phone calls and they were monitoring his life in general, just just part of the security (laughs) for the place. And that they brought him in and told him, because he was gone, he would have to like leave at weird hours and working strange hours and always going out to the base and stuff. And so suddenly um, they discover that his wife, who's a relatively newlywed at this time, uh, his mm-hmm. wife's having an affair and they tell him he doesn't catch her. They tell him and they say, well, you know, okay, they didn't mention this in the documentary. Yeah. So they, it, it causes a, a compromise in his security rating. Like he can't, they can't have, he could be, you know, blackmailed or whatever. Like if you go, so was this the first wife or the one that was, that appeared in the documentary? No, it was before her. Yeah. Yeah. This, okay. So okay. Yeah. he ends up divorcing her right after that. Um, and then there was that weird story, too, that after all of this happened, and I think this was after he came forward and told his story, he was involved in some kind of prostitution ring. Um, yeah, I felt bad that they included <laughs> that. I mean, it, it is a true thing. Uh, it, well, it seemed, it's one of those things that feels like, to me, it's always like when people point out that, oh, yeah, you, you did this felony. Yeah, I mean, committing felonies does get you into trouble. Uh, you know, he... he sort of paid his dues for that. But do you think it's totally unrelated and I, kind of like Sylvia Brown? <laughs> it, 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 her felonies. It, it, he was breaking the law. You know, he was doing, you know, unlicensed prostitution. It's a state that prostitution is legal in, but you have to have permits. In some counties. In some counties, right. But not, not in Las Vegas. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you, which is, I think, like, why it was not. <laughs> let me rephrase that. I was going to say, it happens to be, I, I believe, that Nye County, where the Coast to Coast show comes from, was one of those counties where they have, I think that's where the, I want to say that's where the chicken ranch is, um, uh, which is kind of a famous well, brothel. But yeah, you, if you're going to do prostitution uh, or be involved in it, there are rules uh, in the states, even where it's legal, there's rules around it. And uh, he was breaking those rules and ultimately mm-hmm. convicted. I, to me, it seems pretty much irrelevant if you look at bob's story um, outside of what he talks about just the public record he had a history right. of of financial difficulties and when people are desperate they will do he was, pretty wacky stuff to try to stay out of out of out of right and i agree i think there are two ways to look at it though you could say well that's the kind of thing that undermines his credibility in general um and then at the same time you could certainly say well this is unrelated to yeah yeah i, I just I think there's so many other reasons to be skeptical <laughs> that that the fact that he was involved with uh, that crime. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, that's the only thing he was convicted of. Um, yeah, it's just still, I think, in yeah. general, looking at his life is kind of a dodgy thing. And then, of course, you have uh, his more recent offenses with him. Uh, wasn't he selling... I don't think it was on the black market, but he was selling um, mailing fireworks stuff. Yeah, yeah, but potentially explosive chemicals, right? Dangerous chemicals, and I don't know if he was selling them overseas or in, across state lines or something. And yeah, the, so I don't know if it was an issue with mailing it or. I get what the it impression was. that um, whatever he's done, uh, he has definitely gotten on the radar of law enforcement and is a person of interest that they keep an eye on. Um, in the documentary. <laughs> you get this really interesting thing that happens where the, he, there's an FBI raid on his business, uh, ostensibly looking for records. And then the di- the director, Corbell, says that he thinks that that's very suspicious that they would send so many agents just to look for records, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I thought that was strange, uh, the way that uh, Lazar told that story, too. He, he just spoke about there being countless, numerous agents who raided the place. Um, and we're taking measurements of the, the lab and everything. But he just made it seem like it was, I don't know, Keystone Cops kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a little incredible. It did. I mean, they do show footage of the raid. And, um, the, you know, the, the implication, the way, the way it's shown in the documentary, I think the implication is that that the raid happened because they had discussed on a cell phone 
this missing bit of uh, element 115. Right. Yeah, that had that conversation out in the woods. <laughs> I want to say something. This is I've never heard this anywhere else, but before they named it, what's I think it's called Muscovium or something like that, the actual element 115. Yeah, it's like named after a Russian scientist. Right, or the city or, or whatever, or Moscow. But but here's the thing. Before they named it, um, it would have been named after its element number, which was Ununpentium, which is 115-ium, basically. But doesn't Ununpentium sound suspiciously like unobtainium? Which is which is like the sort of made up chemical they use whenever they need a, a special propulsion you know system. It, it's uh, it's sort of the, uh, the, the generic make our spaceship go chemical in lots of movies. Uh, they use it in the I don't core. Know. It could be coincidental. Yeah, it could be. But, coincidental. But it's an interesting point. Yeah, <laughs> since no one has raised it before. <laughs> That's why people tune in here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so the the element. 115 um i mean that that's uh, that could be a topic just in and of itself for for a show um you know how could this be something that would still be in existence uh, and that he would still i mean do you think they were actually claiming that because they were so kind of uh you know careful in the way that they were talking about that well, well, you know were they <laughs> lazar has has previously he did within the confines of this documentary i don't think he said it but he has previously claimed that he took a sample and left with it uh, which would be an incredibly dangerous thing to do right if, if it certainly were real. during oh absolutely uh but, but with the in the documentary anyway he refused to answer that didn't he right they turn off their cell phones uh <laughs> And they, uh, you know, they they act like that. You know, we're going to talk about this. But we're going to turn off all our gear, and then they kind of cut back. And, but the implication is, the implication is that he implies he's still got some hidden somewhere. And right. then the next and thing, and then he happens, was raided the right, next day. Exactly. So, and they kind of start with that too, and then come back to that. Yeah, and w- which you know gives some credibility to the. I mean, absolutely. If you're like weighing things, saying that, and then having the government show up would be suspicious right Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things about getting credibility by being related to a government uh research it's we've talked about uh uh some of this the the government when we had on uh, ray hyman we talked about uh psychic spies and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and even if these are small projects just you gain a lot of credibility by having the government involved right just there's there's people who simultaneously loathe the government and at the same time revere them as hold them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a weird relationship. A lot of uh, people in this sort of fringeology world. Yeah. It's know. kind of using it when it suits. Them. Yeah. It's, it's simultaneously proof that's happening. It's proof it's not happening. You know, it's lots of things. I'm going to cough. So give me just a moment. Sure. <coughs> <coughs> oh, I'm muted. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, so, <laughs> you good? I think so. So, I guess a, a question I have, which might be naive, but I'm wondering that if this all of this was true, then how come we haven't seen any fruits of this technology decades later? Or have we? Well, okay. So. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there's a guy... Uh, named Corso, who wrote a book called The Day After Roswell. And um, he claimed that after the Roswell crash, that the technology there was reverse engineered. Um, He wrote that book with William Burns, Bill Burns, the guy who does, I think it's called UFO Magazine. You've probably seen him on TV. Usually wears a hat and sunglasses when he talks about UFO conspiracies. Um, But he uh, claims that all these crazy technologies that we have, like the reason that there was a, a, a computer revolution was because of these things. And uh, it's it's very much along the lines of ancient astronauts, you know, helped our ancestors build pyramids, uh, except that in this case, it's one crashed spaceship or maybe two led to all these incredible discoveries. But the problem is, um, and if I ever finish my book, there's going to be a whole chapter on this. But the problem is that we have a very clear 
evolutionary lineage for all the technologies that are involved in the computer revolution. Um, from the development of the mechanical switch to the vacuum tube to the transistor to the microchip, that's all, uh, it's, you know, so it's a combination of material sciences, the discovery of information theory, uh, and, and all these other aspects that, you know, people work together very diligently to get us to where we are today. It's not, I mean, you can go back and look at smartphones and people act like the iPhone just invented smartphones, but there's a long history of the development of smartphones. Um, I mean, I, I love my Palm Pilot and my Trio, you know, there's all these previous versions that weren't quite as good and the, the ones in the future theoretically will be better. But um, mm -hmm. there's a clear tree of life for technology. It's, well, I guess it's a tree of technology, not life, but I obviously need to get that worked out before I finish my book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't. I'm not aware of anything coming out of uh, this research that that supports this. Now, um, mm -hmm. around Area 51, we've got some amazing stuff that's come out um, that we know about uh, with uh, stealth aircraft, uh, the SR-71. Right. Um, you know, um, I'm pretty confident that a lot of our drone technology we have today was developed there, um, mm -hmm. but. Uh, there's a, I, I think I'll mention it again. I've put it in previous show notes. Uh, there's a book called Dreamland that talks about this time. What, what happened was around Area 51, um, you really couldn't get to it because it's out in the middle of the friggin' desert. So the only place you could go and see it legally was outside of Rachel, Nevada. There was an area called Freedom Ridge, which was like a really high mountain ridge that kind of overlooked the property. And right. in, I think 1995... The government annexed that Freedom Ridge property and made it illegal to go there. So you really couldn't get there. And then within 10 years, uh, commercial satellites were able to pass over the base and, like, you know, publish photos online. So, you know, you had Google, Google Maps. Google images. Right, and, right. Yeah. So we know the base is really there. I mean, we know Area 51 is mm -hmm. really there. And we know some of the stuff they've done there. And then one of the other ways we found out about Area 51 is that people who work there, we're not following safety and health protocols related to the disposal of uh, dangerous material. And they were like ordered to just dig pits and push all these hazardous materials into the pit and burn them. So they were just standing out there without any of the safety equipment they needed, burning hazardous materials. And they all started getting weird skin conditions and lung conditions. And then they went <laughs> mm. to the government asking for medical help. And the government was like, well, what are you talking about? We don't, mm. we don't know about any area 51. We don't know where you work, you know. <laughs> so they had to sue the government to get them to admit that the base even existed so that they could get medical coverage. Right. So it's kind of a dark blot, you know, yet another dark blot or one of those great places where it shows how uh, you can have secrets. But if you don't have some kind of oversight, people will break the rules, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Poor yeah. And speaking of uh, technology, too, what do you make of that? machine or device for kind of checking in uh like a I'm trying to think of the term for it but kind biometrics. of checking into work yeah the, the biometrics um yeah. with yeah with the thing where he'd put his hand on there and it would measure the bone length in his hand or something you said and and then Corbell had come across photographs of these yeah machines. that that was I, I thought it was interesting but if the machine existed there's no reason Lazar couldn't have known about it Right. So I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, th th if you might be the kind of thing that was used in science, other, yeah, you know, yeah, it might be the kind of thing that was used in other government offices. Even and again, something he could have heard about. Maybe, uh, you know, even uh, sit, uh, <laughs> uh, Los Alamos <laughs> National Laboratory, for example. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they used it there. You know, I don't know. Uh, but the the point is, uh, if it was real technology, there, you know, I. It was being sold by government contractors. I don't know why he couldn't have found out about it. You know. Yeah, it was just certainly inserted into the documentary to make it seem as though, oh, this is absolutely something that was used at S four, and and uh, this was proof that he'd yeah. been there. So it was well very interesting the way they wove, wove that in. Well, again, I, I was logic. Jeremy Corbell, like I said, again, the I didn't care for the the Skinwalker Ranch documentary, but but mm -hmm. this one was better. Uh, and I thought it was better storytelling and certainly more interesting. But he definitely has an agenda. And part of that agenda is, you know, he says that, well, he needs to defend Lazar and make it plausible. If everybody doesn't believe Lazar's story at all, why watch it? 
right? I mean, right, what, right. You know, why, why watch some you know story about a bunch of lies? Just to pick it apart on some podcast. Right. So he has to defend uh, Lazar as he defends the show, and part of what he does is he says that people demonize Lazar and turn him into a monster. Hey. Monster talk, uh, but they say you know like <laughs> that, that basically is part of the uh, campaign to make people not credible. One of the first things you do is basically make them unhuman. Now I I don't know anybody who says Bob Lazar is not human, and, and or, or, you know it. But that, I think there's a huge distinction between uh, questioning people's claims and then trying to do a smear campaign on them. You know, saying right. that, hey, Bob said he went to this school and there's no there's no diploma is not making Bob into a monster. It's making Bob mm-hmm. someone who would lie about his credentials to seem more plausible, you know? Right. So I, I don't think that makes him a monster. And I, I kind of disagree with Corbell on that. I, um, I think there's a lot of interesting story here that you don't have to necessarily... If you're going to die on a hill, I would say making Bob absolutely factual is probably not the hill to die on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there were certainly sections where he had this kind of faux skepticism, and he was you know, presenting it as though uh, he and, and George had questioned um, Bob's story all along, and um, you know that they'd come to the conclusion ultimately that he was telling the truth. But you know, they certainly made it seem as though they'd had some some skepticism along the way. Yeah. If if you wanted a completely fair documentary about Lazar, I think it would need to include more of these issues around his credibility. But it's not a fair documentary. It's an entertaining documentary. Uh, you know, so... It is, with some volume issues at times. Yeah, yeah. But I would say it was... I, I, the, From a nostalgic perspective, and just from seeing what's up with Bob, uh, I mean, someone who mm-hmm. I've read about for years and listened to on interviews, I found it interesting. I think Bob's still an interesting character. I just don't and his, believe his, his fashion stuff. sense yeah. has changed. It has, you know, but man, he's, he's got a nice house, doesn't he? Really nice. And I couldn't yeah. figure out uh, online it says he lives in uh, Florida, but that looked like it was in New Mexico. No, um, no. I, I Well, like, his business is maybe there. His, it, last I heard, he had moved up to Michigan. So I believe that was in Michigan. Um, that, that was very woodsy. It didn't look like the desert. Yeah, it no, it, like it did Florida not look like either. The, Right, yeah. It, to me, it looked much more like Michigan. I, I, my my employer is in Michigan, and so I've spent some time up there. Um, his 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 current business is up there, so I'm assuming that's still accurate. Um, and if I get but a it chance... it seems like he's been successful and he's made some money for himself. Yeah, it was uh, as a sort of amusement... Uh, Recently, um, uh, I, I saw Brian Dunning of the Skeptoid podcast had posted online that he had purchased uh, some, uh, tr- I think it's pronounced trini- Trinitium, which is the uh, glass sand from the atomic test at the Trinity site in New Mexico, right? So when they when they tested the atomic bomb there, it fused the sand into glass. And so the sand there, uh, a lot of people want to collect little samples of it. So it's radioactive sand. And... Uh, Dunning had bought uh, a sample and he bought it from Bob Lazar's company because Bob sells it online. And I thought that was pretty funny because I don't think he'd made that connection. Uh, now he now he knows. But uh, it was one of those, wow, that's a funny coincidence. I mean, you, you Google it and I guess it was one of the top search results for buying some. Um, but what was the name of his business? United Nuclear. My mind is still yeah. working. <laughs> And they'd also interviewed one of his uh, colleagues who'd supported his story regarding the the FBI raid. Yeah, I guess that's one of his co-workers or employees, yeah. rather. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it felt very much like he has a nice little small business. Um, uh, you know, he's a, and there's an online aspect to it. There's a store. I, mean, I say nice. I haven't looked at the BB, you know, Better Business Bureau to check it out or whatever. But, yeah, um, he, he might be a B minus. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Where are my fireworks? <laughs> uh, but uh, another thing that we haven't mentioned yet is uh, the the hypnotherapy that he underwent, and I cannot remember the name of the chap who um, who did hypnotherapy with him um, or hypnosis, and uh, was trying to to. Um, get him to to relive his experiences. They, this was a really short section too. They didn't go into much yeah. depth with it. Yeah, that was. They'd actually recorded the uh, the sessions that he'd had. Yeah, I'm. Th- this is me. I I'm I'm super skeptical of of uh, 
hypnosis for memory recovery. Um, I, I, I just, I, I've never found it very compelling. Um, I don't know. What, yeah, what, I mean, what, what, I, I can't point, I couldn't really go into a, a deep discussion about it right now and point to studies that would prove it's efficacy or anything like that. But yeah, well, um, they did it on Mythbusters one time and they, they found, you know, in the, in their, I mean, this is a TV show. I mean, I like Mythbusters, but this particular episode, I was a little, I, I was annoyed because they, I don't think they had a big enough sample size, but they were doing some testing and they found it had a positive effect. But I, I'm just, memory's so funny. It's, it's, it's fluid. It's faulty. A lot of time it's subjective. You can like be sort of, uh, uh, you know, cued or, or, or primed to remember things certain ways. I just, I, the idea that you could like go into a relaxed state sort of guided by someone else and get more out of it. It's just, it just, I'm very suspicious well, of it. So I think, I think the concern there is, as you said, guiding someone. Um, if you're, it seemed to me from what little they showed that there was a possibility they could have been using leading questions or something to, yeah. well, to basically position it as having taken place in the first instance. Right. Well, and well, the, creating false memories. Yeah. Similar to the, uh, the lie detector stuff. I, I, I don't find lie detectors very compelling. Um, and if you were yeah, involved gone through in, that with uh, George Knapp had me, I think a number of polygraph tests. Yeah. And, and let's, let's, if you, here's some advice. If you ever get involved in a criminal trial and they want to use lie detectors, get your lawyer on that because they, they should not be admissible. It's uh, they are, they are really not what people think they are and they can really throw a jury off because TV tells us different story from reality. Well, it's like a, yeah, like an e-meter really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you can pass these things. And right. And, and I've Especially if been, he believes in his story. Well, and, I was going to say, or, I mean, I'm not saying this is not an indictment on Bob, but I've always been suspicious of whether sociopaths would have any trouble passing him. Because it doesn't seem like they would, um, you know, it'd be interesting to test. Um, yeah, because yeah, I, there might be tests that exist. Yeah, so if not, get on it. <laughs> I'll just uh, so if you're a sociopath, just you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we have a few, at least one in a thousand well, listeners. <laughs> st st statistically, right? Yeah, of course we do. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, that's one of those things. Sociopathy is is one of those things. It's like it's so bothering because. There are people who are sociopathic or not crazy killer people. They just they don't feel the emotions we do. It's it's a spectrum. Well, I don't think yeah, so. sociopath or psychopath are actual clinical terms. I think they're more popular science terms. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's um, and I can't remember what it's called instead. But it, it, oh, in the DSM, body disorders or something. Yeah, yeah but yeah. They're, they're not known as you know, those are just the kinds of terms that you're going to see in um, self help books and stuff. <sighs> psychiatry and psychology. It, 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 one of those things that bugs me about that is like you can get all these different di like disorders, which uh, are, are syndromes, which represent a cluster of symptoms. You know, and mm -hmm. how much of that is people just drawing a circle around clusters and calling it a syndrome? You know, I mean, I know some of and, it's not, but some of it seems like it might be. Um, and then changing definitions, right? Yeah. So uh, anyway, later on, and oh, it's a complicated yeah. thing. I mean, now in defense of psychology. Uh, there have been massive improvements in uh, the testability of things and the, the methodologies being used in those tests in the past 20 years. Um, so mm -hmm. that that's a, a, a science that's you know I'm, I'm fascinated by and I hope continues to make massive improvements because um, yeah definitely it, there's absolutely a, a lot to it and but there are certainly a lot of pseudoscientific areas yeah. that you like often any, find any, that any human endeavor has got field. flaws built in because that's who we are right so. yes. Fringe areas and yeah, as opposed to mainstream areas. But anyway, I guess we're getting off. We topic. might be slightly on a tangent here. There's more bonus content for Patreon supporters. <laughs> if you throw in a swear word, yeah, fuck. There's some more fucking content for Patreon supporters. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so we've been chatting for surprisingly 55 minutes. I think most of it discussion about this because you've got some extra points about what's next for Monster Talk. I wonder if we should save that for. Another time or another discussion? Um, I, I think we should just mention that if you're in the Lubbock, Texas area, Texas, 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 Texas. maybe we shouldn't mention it because it can't be spoken by human tongue. <laughs> well, yeah. I think, yeah, someone, someone's trying to prevent you from telling the world I'm about revealing this. too much already. It, it, towards the end of the last weekend of February, we are going to be in Lubbock, uh, Texas for LubbockCon. 
and also mm-hmm. talking on campus at Texas Tech. And I, we are very excited about that. Yeah, for the media and communication yes, studies. Department. Yes, I, 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 I'm super excited about it. Uh, I, this is yeah, really happening. Be- I, I, it was, it was, I was thinking it was happening, but now I have airplane tickets, so I'm going. They may not, oh, they do. may change their minds, but I'm in. <laughs> yeah. We're going to turn up, and there's going to be a bus with blacked out windows. Yes. And, <laughs> and if we find pick us up and some, take el- us to a location. Right. If we find Element 115, you'll hear about it here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And- I'll be pretty concerned. That's right. All right. Well, you ready to wrap it up then? Yeah. I mean, is there anything else? I'm just looking at my notes. I think I've kind of touched upon most things that I really wanted to say. Um, Oh, uh, we'll put links to the documentary uh, and some skeptical observations and uh, other links in the show notes. Yeah. I think as always, it'd be interesting to hear back from listeners who might have feedback or comments or about uh, about their own understanding of this or, or just have, watching it themselves what they think about it and I've certainly heard hearing on uh, Facebook would be cool yeah and I, I also discovered this week that apparently there's a community tab in Patreon that I've never even looked at so uh, oh. I don't know if there's any discussions going on there but I think I'll go check no, it I out no I didn't know about that either I'll have to check it out I saw it on someone else's Patreon. I saw it on the uh, uh, HP Podcraft. So I assume we have it as an option, too. I'll check. I think that's it. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard us discussing the new documentary by Jerry McCorbell called Bob Lazar, UFOs in Area 51. A link to that film will be in the show notes at monstertalk.org, but you can also find the film on iTunes and on Amazon and other streaming services. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed on this show are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. Hey! I noticed today that if you have an Amazon Echo, you can enable the Monster Talk skill as one of the regular Amazon Echo skills. Just trigger your Amazon Echo device and ask it to enable the Monster Talk skill. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, We now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Longtime listeners to Skeptoid and also to our colleague podcasts often ask, what can I do? We all believe in the value of critical thinking and of the intellectual tools that help us tell fact from fiction. But we don't always know how to best spread those tools to others. Well, let me offer one easy and effective option. Skeptoid Media, that's us by the way, is currently in production on a feature documentary titled Science Friction about how the media abuses its science experts by misquoting them or editing them out of context exploiting their reputations to promote sensationalized news or fake documentaries promoting debunked alternative histories. Part of our mission as a nonprofit is that we will retain educational rights to give this movie free to teachers worldwide, alongside complete, professionally produced educational materials to bring formalized lessons in critical thinking and scientific skepticism directly into classrooms. To retain those rights, we're crowdfunding the initial production. We're just about halfway to our goal right now, which you can see at sciencefriction.tv. You want to know what you can do to give the tools to students? This is it. We're asking a basic contribution of $100. If you're on the team, now's the time to take the field and play ball. 
please come to sciencefriction.tv and make your tax-deductible donation to Science Friction. We ask $100, but any amount helps. Donate enough, you can even become an executive producer and get a legitimate screen credit. Sciencefriction.tv. Watch the promo and see our stories. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. For more skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skepti, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. My name is Jeremy Corbell. I seek to weaponize your curiosity. <laughs> 